wait, you, you want me to be like funny haha or funny what I'd do with David Tennant and Nathan Fillion with two hours and a bottle of baby oil? Oh, oh, okay. Um, hi, this is Julie Maris from Wicked Unscripted, and here comes Sci Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It will make a duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From a place deep in the dark corners of sub-level one in Area 51, hello and welcome to TalkCast 329, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Snacking on a bottle of recycled wine because, you know, somebody had to. I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, you know, we're not sure, but we'll figure it out as we go along. In the Acton TARDIS reseeding Inferno, our technical anarchist, our button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdriver, and girl genius, Kriana. Dom, have you been problems with your memory lately? Like, do you not remember who's on the show right now? I do remember. It's Corey Levine. Why, why did I say? Well, you weren't sure who was joining us. So. Well, no. I'm, well, uh, the reason I was saying that was because we're hoping that uh, Zombrarian will be joining us later, but we're not sure yet. And, and magically, here I am. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> what? And Dome apparently doesn't have Alzheimer's, so all is well. Yeah, no, that's true. No, not at this point. Yet. Well, glad you're here. Uh, anything to report? No. Cool. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> I, I did not know for a second that you were talking to me. Not a problem. Returning from pruning his sport collection as he writes his new magnum opus, Hey, That's My Plastic, a fond memory of cafeterias throughout the Midwest, our correspondent, the guy who really likes shiny stuff, Awake by Java. Tonight we're playing No Man's Sky. So Well, you're playing that. You're I, playing I it. I have yet to hear any reason why I should yet. Well, we're about to hear that, so tell uh, us a little bit about this game. I found... A, an unholy combination of a Furby and an Ewok. <laughs> that is about as unholy as it gets. Like, the game is about that? No, I just found it. It was wandering around some planet. Made friends with it. This is a price. Does it one. now follow you around? Well, no, last I week's wish. game was like a $15 game, and it was really awesome. But this week's game is 60 bucks, and I am unconvinced. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it, it's a pricey little puppy, is what oh, we're saying. Oh, they do look cute, though. <laughs> um, this, this is a game that's been anticipated for a long time. It's uh, set in a procedurally generated universe. So the idea is the... Well, the sign me up! I love procedural <laughs> generation! <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that if you, if you want... You could basically wander around forever and never run across anybody else. Of course, that's because it's... 
impossible to run across anybody else. But each planet and solar system and galaxy is procedurally generated. So they didn't. When you go onto a planet, the things that you see there, nobody else has probably seen before, which is kind of neat. Um, there's well, some kind of it's story. It's Windows only, so not. Happening. It is. It is also available on PlayStation. Which one? Four. Not happening. <laughs> um, oh, wow. It, I mean, this is this game is the reason I bought a PlayStation 4. Um, it's kind of... I've been waiting for it for a few years now. And I don't know. I'm about 10 hours into it. It's fun. Um, it's kind of Minecrafty. It's kind of... Uh, I, there are a lot of things that if you've been playing video games... For a long time, this game does differently, and um, that's kind of neat. Like, you can start off in space and do space combat and fly right down through the atmosphere onto a planet and land, walk around. You could walk around the whole planet if you wanted to. Um, that would be really boring, but you could. <laughs> what if one prefers games with shitty graphics? Oh, then... Well, this game has some questionable graphics. I think I'll just stick to RimWorld. Yeah. 8-bit, <laughs> this is not, but it is, um, I mean, it's definitely not a carefully crafted experience like you would find in most AAA titles. Um, is it supposed to be? Well, it's no, 60 well, bucks, I suppose. Because it's procedurally generated, it's, I mean, you just, like, it's all of these planets are, are designed by an algorithm, not by a person. So they, they okay, lack a little second. bit. Okay, wait a second. Just back up for 30 seconds because I just did a search and a game came up that looked interesting to me and I messed over it. And I have one friend who owns this game. And guess who it is? I bet it's me. It is you. <laughs> and it's called Starbound. Ah, Starbound. Yeah, it's... um, it, That game is kind of more Minecrafty. But it's also in space. It is an 8-bit style game or a 16-bit style game. Um, so it's kind of like the game that I'm playing right now, No Man's Sky, but not in 3D. It's, it's all very, very, it's very Terraria to me. There are those crappy graphics you were looking for right there. They're not crappy. They're artistic. They are stylized. Exactly. Actually, it kind of looks more like Stardew Valley. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely that that. Um, Retro style. And if anybody's watching on your uh, your Twitch account, you'll be playing it throughout the show. Tonight. I am. No, wait a minute. I am Who broadcasting on twitch.com slash awakebyjava. So you can check out what I'm doing while I'm arguing about whether or not modern uh, news reporting is journalism or not. Ooh, that's a pretty How shit. How do you figure out who makes fucking games on Steam? I don't know that you can uh, well, that's ridiculous. It is. It's the same developer. It's the same publisher. It's Chucklefish Games as Stardew oh, Valley. It's the same people. Chucklefish Games is the are the people who are making, are basically taking the uh, concerned apes game and making it viable on other platforms. So they're like the distributor. They do that for a lot of games. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now. And seeing if there are maybe other games I would like to play. And while Java is putting his games into play on Twitch, I'd like to uh, introduce our guest tonight. Our guest tonight is uh, in our 
last of our Welcome to Boston Comic Con people you really should check out while you're there. Corey Levine from uh, a webcomic called The Bowery Boys. Corey, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, Dom. Uh, thanks for having me. i really uh, happy to be here with you guys and uh, really eager for the convention this weekend. I was going to say, uh, this is not your first Boston Comic Con, but it is your first time in Artist Sally. Yeah, that's true. I've attended uh, yeah, this show and, and many others uh, as a fan. Uh, for years, uh, and this, uh, you know, within the past year, within the past 12 months, since the uh, release of Bowery Boys as a uh, hardcover collection uh, from Dark Horse has been my first opportunity to kind of get on the other side of the table uh, and, um, you know, be there as a creator, and so for, you know, likewise for Boston Comic Con, this will be my first time in uh, in the alley. I'm super jazzed about it. I was going to say, uh, you spent X number of years <clears throat> attending uh, <laughs> Boston Comic Con, which in itself is a dizzying experience. Mm. Um, and you were on the other side of all those tables in, in Artist Alley. This time you're going to be sitting there and people are going to be walking by. What, what is, uh, how do you feel about that? What is, what is it doing for you? Uh, well, I mean, you know, excitement, uh, anticipation, uh, you know, it's been it's been great to to watch the show uh, grow. Uh, you know, I've only been back in the area for a few years, for uh, about three years. Um, but in that, t even in that limited, it's grown exponentially every yeah. year in those three years. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just sort of taken off. And uh, you know, one of the things that I one of the things that I find really interesting to kind of observe, especially now, is sort of um, you know wondering when if. I guess if and when uh, you know the market is going to reach a saturation point for comic book conventions because they just sort of keep cropping up and every new one that shows up in a new area, a new market just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, you know, at a certain point, you're gonna you've, we've got to reach critical mass here. But uh, I I don't I haven't seen it happen yet. Um, so uh, it's, and with the number of conventions just in Boston alone and the mm -hmm. way that they've grown, never mind when you expand it out. Through New England and Connecticut, uh, it's it's getting. I don't know. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, it's it's good though. It's you know it's a good good thing for the creators uh, and the publishers and all the people who put their uh, blood, sweat, and tears into making the art. So um, you know I'm I'm happy for it. Uh, but you know part of me is a little bit apprehensive, waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. Well, I think it's really good for the participants as well. I mean, for the people who are dropping down their money and coming to Boston or, or going to Vermont or going to Maine or going to uh, New Hampshire or, or Connecticut. Did I say Connecticut? No one goes to Vermont. Oh, yes, they do, actually. No. And, I mean, giving the nearby people in each of those places the chance to see first-rate talent uh, you know, locally, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's you know for a lot of the fans uh, showing up at these things, especially the the you know the more local, the smaller shows, and not not you know those shows that aren't in the big uh, major American cities. I mean, you know, for for a lot of these folks, I think it's some of their first exposure to uh, really being able to get back to the source. Uh, material for you know some of the superheroes or uh, science fiction 
um, you know, or, uh, or, or, you know, horror, whatever it may be, you know, to get back to the, the source material and the people creating it. So, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, in addition to kind of stoking the fires of the fandom, um, you know, ho- hopefully these, these kind of shows give people, you know, give the creators, um, you know, and, and the fans more of an opportunity to, to connect, uh, you know, as opposed to just sort of, you know, getting Flash Gordon to sign uh, your tits or whatever. <laughs> ah, you've been there. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't mean to cast any aspersion on people who like getting their tits signed. I'm just saying. I uh, mean, Dome does right, at least God once damn it. I'll get my tits signed if I want to. <laughs> oh, I mean, and, and so should we all. And I mean, Sam J. Jones is one hell of a guy. <laughs> so, so I'm told, so I'm told. Having interviewed him twice, let me tell you, that was an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> He's a local New England guy, isn't he? Yeah, he is, actually, from, from the Boston area. Yeah. And uh, I think the first time I interviewed him was right after Ted came out. Okay. <laughs> and the second time was right after Ted 2 came out. So it was, yeah, very interesting stuff going on there. <laughs> but the thing about Boston for me is that... Uh, it's kind of low-key on the uh, TV and movie stars mm-hmm. and very, very artist-centric. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, I don't really have a, a lot of frame of reference historically for the show, but, uh, you know, having been out kind of on the convention circuit over the course of this uh, past spring and summer, um, you know, it's been really interesting to see how much of a different uh, flavor, how much of a different voice each of these conventions have based on, you know, how they market themselves, how they position themselves, what kind of guests they invite, and, um, you know, even, you know, down to something, uh, you know, as uh, specific as the, you know, the organization of the uh, the show in, in the um, venue. So, um you know, and in, in my experience with Boston, it's it's always been very uh, you know favorable to the creators. So I'm I'm uh, you know I've got high hopes um, for uh, you know for for how the show is going to go. So you're bringing Bowery Boys mm-hmm. to Boston Comic Con. Talk a little bit about the web comic and how that morphed into uh, the trade paperback for uh, Dark Horse. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. So um, I was hoping it would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when uh, my co-creator uh, Ian Bertram and I started, uh, you know, when we first established our our professional relationship and and decided to work together uh, and create this thing, uh, the truth of the matter is, is we really always envisioned it as um, you know a graphic novel, as a story that will be uh, enjoyed in print and. You know, we went through the process of, you know, creating uh, some of the work and putting it together in a pitch and shopping around the industry. Um, and, you know, we weren't we weren't able to get hooked up with a publisher that we were happy with. So, you know, for us, making it a webcomic uh, was sort of an alternative route to uh, starting to generate some interest from fans and, and, you know, with the hopes of bringing, uh, you know, making, uh, or I, I should say creating an incentive for those publishers to come back around to us later on. And, and, uh, you know, thankfully it was a gamble that paid off for us, but, 
you know, we went to the web uh, quite simply because we could, and that's you know the real beauty of it is that uh, you know there is no barrier of entry for for web comics, and uh, that's what makes them wonderful uh, and weird and groundbreaking and interesting. Um, you know, is that uh, you know there's nobody telling you that your idea isn't good enough, um, you know, short of the audience. Uh, I was uh, going to say, it's getting the audience that's the key to that because, you know, that's where, that that's your validation. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, for, for people who just want to make comics and put them out there and have people read them and enjoy them regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, 10 people or 10,000 people, um, you know, the web is really... Uh, leveled the playing field so to speak uh and anybody can take their uh you know their whack job idea and uh <laughs> and and put it out there into the world and that's a that's a really beautiful thing in, in my opinion uh and so that's that's kind of the way we approach it is you know let's put this idea out into the world because we believed in it um even if we didn't necessarily have uh you know the su the support of the publishers right off the bat uh you know as sort of unknown Unknown quantities, uh, you know, unknown creative quantities, I should say. Uh, you know, we, you know, people weren't ready to uh, get behind us. Uh, you know, publishers weren't ready to, to get behind us and take a risk. But we decided, you know, we believed in the story. We believed in our our own talent um, and and our voice. And you know, we we plugged along and, and uh, forged ahead anyways. Uh, and in doing so. Uh, in getting the uh, you know getting the work up on the web and continuing to make it, uh, we you know we ended up having about a hundred pages worth of work in the can uh, when uh, we, you know we were approached by Dark Horse about putting it together in print. And at that point, it becomes a much um, you know a, a much less risky proposition. Uh, for a publisher like Dark Horse to, uh, you know, to publish us because, you know, we've proven it out. We've proven we can do it. Uh, we've proven we're going to do it one way or the other. Uh, you know, there's a much more substantial uh, body of work for them to, to look at and evaluate. And, um, you know, so for us, uh, you know, and, and I'm not really shy about saying so, the web was the road to print, um, which was ultimately you know, based on our original vision, you know, that was the goal. Now, uh, is, is that kind of thing happening more and more now? Where, uh, uh, I, I think you see it, I, I do think you see it happening more frequently. You see, you know, there are some extremely popular web comics uh, that are using, you know, print as an additional income stream, um, you know, and then there are also, you know, folks like us who were, we were, we are not an extremely popular webcomic, um, but, you know, I like to think, and, and we definitely approach the creation of our work, um, you know, with the intention of, of creating something that was of as high a production value as anything in the comics market today. And, and I think you see, you, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you see folks like us, People putting out high production value, high quality comics, um, you know, that are putting them t out on the web, and then you see, you know, uh, Dark Horse has definitely made a concerted effort to try to scoop up the that work and um, bring it into their 
stable and and good on them for doing so you know it's a smart smart business move uh so you know trying you know getting these talents um and uh making them dark horse talents now you and ian interestingly and this doesn't happen a lot with with web comics both of you have backgrounds in the comic industry yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I was, when, when Ian and I started working together, I was working uh, for Marvel Comics. I spent uh, a couple of years on staff, on the editorial staff uh, at Marvel uh, before I transitioned into a role where I was um, uh, acting as a, as a contractor with them, uh, still do, you know, doing a lot of editorial work and graphic design, pre-press production, kind of, you know, sort of acting like a, a book packager. Um, and uh, when I met Ian, he was uh, he was still in uh, school at the, at SVA in, in New York and uh, studying comics or visual storytelling. I'm not exactly sure what the uh, what the program is called there, but uh, you know he's studying studying uh, you know comics and had produced some work and had been sending his samples to to publishers, and that's kind of. How I first got exposed to his work was through a colleague at Marvel uh, who showed me his samples. And, um, you know, so that's kind of how, how we ended up hooking up. So the interesting thing is um, that you guys live about nine, ten hours apart. So how are you working together? How, how is it working? How is it for you to work together long distance like that? Mm. Um, well, when we started working together, I was actually living in New York at the time, so uh, we weren't as far apart, uh, and and that was actually ended up being really beneficial for us. You know, we developed uh, you know a, a friendship. Uh, you know, in addition to our you know professional collaboration, and we're able to get together in person and jam on story and hash out ideas and and look at artwork together and and um, it was really uh, a really wonderful, really fruitful uh, creative collaboration. Uh, you know, and and then I moved uh, away from the city, uh, like I said, uh, about three years ago, almost on the nose. Um, and uh, so at that point, you know, Ian and I had uh, had developed such a uh, successful working relationship that we were able to continue to work together uh, without, you know, much of a hiccup in, in any, you know, or in any substantial um, impact on our production. Nice. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about where the story, what the story, for the listeners who haven't seen the webcomic, what the story is about. Oh, yeah, that's a, that probably would be a good starting point. It's, it's, well, it's a good starting point for 30 minutes in. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so for those uh, who aren't familiar with the work, um, so Bowery Boys is a story about uh, a group of adolescents. Uh, it's a coming-of-age story uh, about these uh, these young people growing up on the streets of New York City, and it's set in the mid-19th century, so the 1850s, uh, which is known uh, historically as the antebellum period, um, you know, sort of right before the Civil War breaks out. So primarily it's about, uh, you know, these kids coming together uh, and having to, uh, you know, growing up on the streets and really, you know, facing the hardships of life in their time and coming to grips with the 
some of the realities of uh, adult life. So that's kind of the that's the the fifteen thousand foot view of it. Anyhow, what made you? What made this story become the 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 comic? Why was this an important story for you? Uh, well, it was. Um, it, you know, sort of originated from a few different places. I mean, Ian and I, I'd seen Ian's work, uh, and when I, when I, you know, saw his, his pages, he had done some sample pages for Marvel, and, um, you know, sort of at their loss, they didn't have a place for him at the time, but I saw his work, and I, I immediately fell in love with it, and uh, knew I needed to work with the guy. I knew that, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, an original creative voice, uh, and a powerful one at that, and, um, you know, that... Uh, you know, he was the guy uh, I was gonna, you know, try to try to get on the hook, so to speak. And um, you know, as we were sort of coming up, uh, as we were sort of talking about the idea of working together, I sort of pitched him a few different thoughts that I had uh, rolling around in my noodle, and uh, one of which was this idea of um, you know, nineteenth-century New York City. Uh, the idea being that for his particular uh, artistic style it was really well suited to, uh, you know, capture, you know, capture historical period, capture the the density uh, and uh, the 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 dinginess uh, and sort of the the essence of of old New York, uh, and s similarly it was also you know a, a setting you know in which Ian and I found a lot of common creative ground. Uh, both living in New York City at the time and kind of having our own respective relationships with that place uh, and our own sort of feelings about it. As a, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a couple times, I, I was sort of uh, I, I left the city and and as I was writing the book and working with Ian, you know, it was really sort of going through this process of kind of falling out of love with New York and. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I know Ian has his own sort of, uh, you know, feelings and opinions on on the city. So it was a way for us, you know, it was just sort of the spot where we really connected. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think it made for a fruitful collaboration. Over the three years that the webcomic has been, yeah, it's been three years, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, there's been kind of an evolution in the style and the storytelling. Mm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and, and how, how things have changed over time as you've been working with this? Yeah, I, I can. So that's a, it's a good, it's a good question. And it's a, uh, I have them occasionally. It's, and it's an astute, <laughs> it's an astute observation. Uh, so, you know, there, there are a few things that contributed to kind of the, the growth uh, in the art over over this period of time, and um, you know, over the period of time that uh, we worked on it, and um, you know, the fir first was that from the get go, we originally conceived, uh, you know, the idea that the art style would evolve um, with the story, that the art would kind of grow and, uh, and you know, and sort of reflect uh, this the the growth and the changing perspective of our characters so that you know that was by design that you know, didn't happen accidentally um, you know it also it does tend to happen um, you know when an artist 
works on a on a project over a, a lengthy period of time, you know, the more work an artist does, the better they get. So uh, that's only natural. And so, of course, uh, Ian uh, and, and his artistic ability, um, I think, you know, as as it continues to do and will always continue to do, uh, improves and, and grew uh, over the course of creating this work. So, you know, that had something to do with, uh, do with it as well, uh, you know, with the maturation of uh, the art. Um, and, you know, finally, what you also probably notice is that uh, at a certain point in the, in the story, it's no longer Ian drawing the art. So, uh, and then that kind of goes, I think, hand in hand with his, with Ian's creative maturation is that, you know, at a certain point, uh, Ian started getting calls from Marvel Comics and DC Comics. And as a young artist uh, doing independent work uh, just out of school, when, you know, an editor at DC calls you and asks you to draw Batman, you don't, you don't say no to that. Uh, so, you know, Ian, um, you know, Ian kind of uh, went on to do bigger and better things. Uh, and, you know, in doing so, we had to face the decision together uh, as to, well, what do we do with this thing, this Bowery Boys that we're, you know, uh, we've been working on for so long? Do we put it on the shelf and hope that, you know, Ian can come back to it at some point in the future? Or do we just uh, do we find somebody, somebody else to draw it? And ultimately, we decided, you know, uh, that uh, you know we didn't want to wait to finish the story. Um, so, thankfully, uh, an artist named Brent McKee, uh, another super talented guy, happened to be available um, when I reached out to him, and he was able to kind of swoop in and, and save the day. Uh, and while he's not Ian and and you know he and I talked about it pretty extensively as well. You know, did was the idea to have Brent try to ape Ian's style and and keep it consistent. And ultimately, we decided not to do that. We you know felt like it would be disservice to uh, both guys and their art. So you know, but Brent, uh, a super talented artist in his own right, was able to come in and um, you know take care of the rest of the story. So uh, I think you know all of those factors kind of are what you see in the in the progression of the art uh throughout the story chronologically how much how much more legs does the story have i mean have you have you got book six planned and seven <laughs> uh, uh, oh boy yeah i mean you know it, it's I, I have a lot of stories i'd love to tell with these characters uh and in this sort of universe this kind of um you know fictionalized history uh you know, the, the truth of it is, if, if I had my druthers, I would tell, uh, you know, stories in this, in this universe, uh, you know, and just sort of take it through uh, American history uh, all the way up to present day, if, um, you know, if, if that were, you know, ever a possibility. But, um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, Bowery Boys, the, the story Bowery Boys, Our Fathers is the subtitle which is the hardcover published by Dark Horse, that's the, uh, that's the full story. That's the, uh, you know, complete beginning, middle, and end, um, you know, that as we originally conceived it. And, um, you know, if, you know, 
from, from you know, my mouth to God's ears, if we sell enough of them, maybe, uh, you know, and, uh, there'll be an opportunity to do more. But at this time, that, that's it. That's the Bowery Boys story is, um, you know, it's all there. So when, you, when our listeners are hearing this, it will be day two of Boston Comic-Con. We will be past Family Day on, on, on Friday mm-hmm. and, and into the hardcore, hey, <laughs> I want that stuff. Right. <laughs> of Saturday. Uh, and listeners, uh, if you get the chance, drop by. Corey's an interesting guy. This is a really interesting and and different than, hi, I'm a superhero, excuse me while I break everything, mm-hmm. comic. Uh, it's, uh, it's well thought out. And I think that's the nicest thing I can say. It's, it's just uh, a very deep gritty intense story and uh wait a Dylan, lot of before fun. you wrap up okay I cool. can hear you headed that direction okay as with every fictionalized history type thing we talk about Corey, i want i am such a nerd i really <laughs> can you tell me about your research process yeah and like yeah. was there anything really cool that wasn't going to be in the story until you were like in the middle of research and found something that you couldn't leave out. Um, well, I, I, I'm not sure I could point to, uh, anything specific in that way. However, I will, you know, I can say that, you know, the book isn't the book without the research and, and I, and I've not been shy about the fact that, you know, in the process of writing this book, um, you know, I, I did do a lot of research, but a lot of the book is sort of, um, you know, cribbed from history uh, with a very, a very thin layer of fiction applied over it. Um, you know, and uh, you know, we we drew. I, I drew very heavily from um, a book called uh, just called Five Points uh, by a historian named Tyler Ann Bender, which is about uh, the Five Points region of Manhattan. Um, you know, the lower wards of Manhattan in this period and the various, um, you know. Uh, you know, social, uh, political, and economic issues of of that time. Um, so uh, that was a very that was a very important resource for me, as well as a variety of other books. Um, a book called Tough Jews by uh, an author named Rich Cohen comes to mind. Uh, Jacob Reese's uh, you know revolutionary photo journal, uh, How the Other Half Lives, was a, a major inspiration as well. That. Uh, historically does come a little later, um, you know, closer to the turn of the 20th century. However, uh, you know, did, was a very important, uh, a very important resource for visual reference, uh, as well as, you know, contextualizing the story. So, um, you know, those are just a couple of, uh, you know, a a couple of books that, that come to mind that were, uh, major influences on the story. Um, so I, I appreciate you asking though, uh, because it's not the, you know, my process is not one where I sit, sit down at my desk and just kind of dream things up. Uh, I'm, I'm starting writing something now and I'm, I'm, you know, waist deep in research on it. And that's, that's where my ideas come from. Um, you know, it's, it's through that, that, that work. Um, and you know, that, that, um, I'm able to, to sort of, put the pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle and try to create a story out of, um, you know, out of, out of what I'm, I'm learning and, uh, and 
encountering in, in the books. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I hope, and, and to what you were saying, Dom, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the the very high praise. Uh, you know, we were trying, we you know, definitely intended to try to put something different uh, into the comics market. You know, there's not a lot of historical fiction out there like ours. You know, you see a little bit more of it cropping up. Um, you know, Brian Wood, for example, has been a big proponent of it uh, with his work. Uh, but, you know, we're not... We weren't interested in doing superheroes, and and you know, not to knock your, not to knock the sci-fi fans um, or the horror fans, but you know, there there are well-established markets for that type of work. Uh, not so much uh, for historical fiction and comics. So, in that way, you know, we benefit by being able to differentiate ourselves as new creators. But we're also sort of swimming upstream in a way, trying to carve out a new path. So. And it's good because the, there needs to be within the the comic and and the creative industry more than just guys and, and and girls in spandex hurting each other. There has to be more to it than that. And we're, we've been seeing over the past uh, couple of years uh, a, a number of artists and a number of writers going beyond that, uh, telling other stories because in the end. The comic, the web comic, is a great storytelling medium. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, web comics and uh, you know, even in print, independent comics. I mean, these are the places where uh, people are taking creative risks, are you know, sort of sticking their neck out there and saying, "Hey, here's a new idea," and hoping people will will gravitate towards it. So, you know, I would just uh, encourage people to um, you know buy independent because uh, that means everything to the creators uh, and by Bowery Boys, uh, Boston Comic Con, uh, booth D408. And we will have links so that they can either come see you then or buy the book or go to the web comic or, or see your pretty picture somewhere. I'm not sure where. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, Anyhow, hey, thank you so much, man. It was really interesting uh, to get your point of view on all this. I'm grateful to be able to uh, to provide it. And now, the news. <laughs> Press the button. Yeah, it's Thank you, Sunburn. Shut up, God. <laughs> uh, how's the game going, uh, Java? Uh, I'm on a planet. It's got trees. There's nobody else there. It's just you. Yep. Okay. So what's been going on this week? Anybody have anything they want to talk about? That's nope. Java's fascinating news there. At I know. I'm on a planet. Walking around. <laughs> so I have, I have very, very important news Go for, for it. Supernatural fans. Ooh. Um, so Jensen Eccles, who plays Dean. What's a Padalecki? What's a Padalecki, anyway? (laughs) Duda, Duda. Anyway, so. Stop not getting the joke, dumb God. Our, our beloved Dean, um, only in real life, 
has been spreading his DNA around and is having not one, but two babies. Oh, good lord. He and his wife are expecting twins. That's great for them. And it's cute. Okay, that is definitely not news that I care about. It's mm. news that I care about because it's babies. Okay, well, you know what? You should respect the privacy of their private lives and just leave them alone. Which is they, why it was on e-network news. The news on Instagram themselves. Good for them. So much and, for privacy. Well, you know what? If I release something on Instagram, it's still pretty private. <laughs> um, Except for it's. Public. Except I don't but have other, Instagrams. So. There you go. So that ends that story. It was great, too. I really appreciated I'm it. I'm glad. it was. I appreciated it just as much as that other story that just happened. So, so I went and saw Suicide Squad this weekend, and I know none of you care about it. Nope. Which, which, nope. which is okay. Because well, it was... thank you for giving us permission to have an opinion. I'm giving you permission to be validated. And so you are. Well, and I'll validate your parking later, but not for Boston. Uh, and it was really good, and it's making some serious cash, which is... Says Dome. Yeah, says Dome, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Really good. Other things that Dome has said are good. Dome. Go on. No, I'm, I'm saying, list some other things you say are good. Moving on. Zombrarian and I... Both are very much looking forward to Jason Momoa. Hold on. Yes. I didn't say that. Tell them the whole story, and then I'll tell you my actual opinion. But it's more fun to say half stories. I bet he's in Harry Potter and the something fucking something else's naked horse or something. Uh, no. (sighs) Jason Momoa is uh, ready to reboot the Crow series. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> of all the things that are... Re- no, no, there are worse things to reboot. I take that There out. are much worse things to reboot than the Crow series. Yeah, but series. that one's pretty bad. I don't know. Yeah, I do. It's, how many times has it been done now? Six? It's been done three times, I think. The Crow? Too many yeah. times. There was The Crow, and then there were three sequels. Oh, there were three sequels. It's never been remade. They have talked about remaking it a lot. I don't think that they need to. However, my opinion that I gave Dome earlier was that you like I approve movies? of the cat. Why would you interrupt me? I approve of the casting choice, but now, I didn't say that? I approve of the remake. Why is that? I think Jason Momoa is right for the part. He's too beefy. Um, He's too beefy. Have you seen the original Crow? I saw pictures of Brandon that. Lee was beefy in that. He was. I guess. He was beefy in that. <laughs> all agree to agree that he peaked on Stargate, so... I don't think so, because we haven't seen Aquaman yet. However, we haven't seen <laughs> Aquaman luck, yet. we never will. Hey, you know who the villain's gonna be in Aquaman? Don't care. Who is it? Oxygen. Black Manta. Ooh. Is that a real thing? And if so, Yeah, racist. it actually is a real thing. 
No. No, not really. It's not, it's not, there's no stereotypes. It's just, that's the name. name. It's the guy's name. Just saying. And that's the only thing that I saw about comic book movies this week because I'm still not interested. <laughs> Shocking. I was comic book by movies, that. what can I yeah. tell you? Yeah. I say. I mean, you know, we could talk about uh, Sir Patrick Stewart as Professor X and how he keeps, even though he's really not Professor X anymore. He keeps coming back to movies as Professor X. And Wolverine 3, and why that's coming out, I don't even know. Mm, or we could not talk about those things, and that would be also fine. The important thing about Wolverine 3 is that Patrick Stewart will be Professor X in it again. No, and I, see, I will, that's where you're wrong. The important thing about Wolverine 3 is that there's nothing important about Wolverine 3. See, now, I would, and, and you would, too, sit in a theater and watch Sir Patrick Stewart read the phone book because I he's just not. so amazing. He's one of the most amazing actors. Not. Also, it would just be him reading right. from the phone book. Yeah. It there, wouldn't there be that too, and you have to five it, minutes of him... Over. And Three. then explosions. And then Hugh Jackman. I don't know. Because who likes that guy? Nobody. Ever. I I like him. I do too. <laughs> there we go. Java and Zombrian get to like him. Okay. I, I like him, but not for Wolverine. It's I just I really don't remember much that he's done aside from Wolverine except for Lim is, and he was fantastic in that. Well, let's are, are, I no. liked him as Wolverine. Way, way back when we were young and he was I'm like throw up in the my mouth a little first bit, I couple movies he was Wolverine in. The movie Lame is. I liked it. Oh god, it's just no, just no. Okay. Just, no. There well No, let's not I, do this. Okay. Come on, Javi, you can do no, it. No, no, I'm saying let's let's really not do this for real. Well, we could talk about Charisma Carpenter. Or. <laughs> You're not going to shoot down everything tonight. Nice try. I could. You could, <laughs> but you won't. I mean, Lucifer is coming back, and I'm looking forward to that. Who's and not? I don't I know anybody who's seen it. <gasps> really? Java! You totally yeah. need to see that. Yeah. I don't know. Eh, he'll watch it at some point when he's ready and then tell us how right we were. True. Mm, probably. But no pressure because that's the fastest way to get me to not watch anything ever. <laughs> so, also watch true. Watch it. Don't watch it. I don't care. When you do, if you do, tell me what you think. I will. Thank you. But they did sign Charisma Carpenter for season two. They well, had... now I'm not going to watch season two. <laughs> uh, Just kidding. And it looks like she's a she's looks like she's a recurring character as well, which is wonderful. I think it's a great idea. I will reserve my opinion. Hey, you know I'm all for opening up good shows, and right now, 
Are you all for opening up good shows, or are I you am. all for busty female cast members? No, no. And that show has been terrific. Season one was just amazing. And I really am looking forward to season two. I did want to mention two more things, and then you can play the out theme. How's that? Okay, thing number one. Transformers 5, still oh happening. God. Why? Why are you even saying this? <laughs> like, what is the literal point of saying it? Uh, because I wanted because to. Because we're all sad now. That's right. Because we weren't sad, sad enough before. Not at all. And uh, Kickstarter this week that I am really looking forward to is a short independent sci-fi film called Lilith in the Garden by Emily Lawrence. Uh, they're about halfway through their funding and they're about halfway to their goal. Check them out. What's I the film about? It's a sci-fi drama that looks at what makes us who we are. And it's kind of like a dialogue between a scientist and his dead wife. Oh, it looks that sounds super cheerful. No, it's not going to be cheerful. Why is dystopian cheerful? You didn't say dystopian. Well, I did just now. That's correct. <laughs> Anyhow, the film looks interesting. Um, Emily Lawrence is a fairly gifted writer, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing this one happen. So, Kriana, who's on the show next week? Nobody. The show's canceled next week because there we go. next week we will be in New York, um, funnily enough. Oddly enough. Experiencing the void, Ghostbusters. And then we will all be happy except for Java. Sorry, Java. <laughs> He's not coming. So clearly he'll be unhappy. Um, and we will finally get to tell everyone all about how crazy and insane that whole thing is going to be. As much as we've heard about it, experiencing it is going to be quite yeah, something. Tracy else. Hickman way better than me at hyping that. <laughs> so just like go back and listen to his last show, and listen to him talk about it because he can talk about it. Or like he shows. talks really good, doesn't he? He does. He uses words right. I hear. <laughs> he has good word stuff going on. Roll the theme, kiddo. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, Northeast Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit ComicArthouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Our intro music tonight was provided by Rob Watts. Find his creations on RobWattsOnline.com. Our outro music is provided by Words Make Me Cry. Check out their I want to thank our guest tonight, Ray Levine, for joining us to talk about his work and check him out at Boston. Thank you to the gang for joining us tonight. Don't be acting, acting time. Thank you so much, ladies. Good night, everybody. Back in the shadows, which means six more weeks of con season. Thank you, Java. It's warp speed. This is Don't Say Terry and Jeannie. Shared names lessons. Shared joy and peace. Lessons we all refer Good night, everyone.
Oh, I know. 